The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Strategies to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. We live in a tornado of new technology, new devices, new ways of doing things. Very complicated for a lot of people to adjust. And we always have to think about the impact of all of these leading technologies, especially I always wonder about the impact of these technologies on human relationships and how it relates to us as people. And the expert that I know in this area, Terry Brock, welcome to the show. Uh, we look forward to uh, you know getting your insights on some of these things. This is a complicated area, so thanks for joining us. Joel, it's great to be with you. Let's make some magic today. Well, we will. We, uh, you and I have had a lot of conversations. We've debated these kinds of topics uh, many times. And, and you really have a masterful uh, understanding of, of a lot of these things that are complicated. Uh, let's start in by talking about what are some of the new technologies or adaptations of technologies, uh, you know, in the last couple of years that you think are probably most impactful, uh, you know, on all of us. Oh, wow. Do we have like 300 hours for this? Well, well we, we, have, we have a while and then we'll, yeah. we need to do more. We'll do more. How about that? Yeah, that's good. Well, there's a lot out there, and I think we're seeing change in several ways. One that I'm seeing right now, matter of fact, we're using it right now to record this, is Zoom. It gives the ability to record the audio, the video, and to get a transcript. It's very nice that it does all that, and I see that as a way to increase communication with human beings. Today, we've got very good video with it very good audio, and it's much better than we had before. I remember the early days of Skype years ago when it first came out. We thought it was a good conversation if it only crashed four times in the course of a 30-minute call. <laughs> now, that was just the way the technology was back then. Of course, now it's much better. And I even, in full disclosure, was a chief enterprise blogger with Skype for a while. Went on, worked with them, had a great time. And I see the technology as a way that is really helping us to connect with people more. Just today, I've had, I think, about four Zoom calls already to Israel, clients up in the uh, Philadelphia area and uh, around the world, and I've got more uh, after this. We are now able to get much more done, and we can do it faster and better using this video. And I think that's just one technology that's out there. Another one that I work with uh, extensively now is with blockchain and cryptocurrencies. All right, we'll get to, we'll get to those in a second. You know, let's stay with, with the first thing first. So you bring sure. up Zoom. You know, and, and that uh, it improves communications, which I love Zoom. I, I use it all the time. And yeah, actually, I've moved a lot of minutes. I originally from my landline moved, uh, you know, 
many thousands of minutes a month onto my mobile phone. And then recently I've been moving minutes off my mobile phone onto uh, some of these uh, other kinds of communications. But, you know, if I was just to randomly guess, uh, I would uh, have maybe said that technology is damaging human relationships in, in a lot of ways. I mean, I, so I'm really glad you bring up uh, ways that we're enhancing it. I mean, I, I see, uh, you know, people go to a dinner party, you got six people sitting around a table are all looking at their phone by themselves. So, yeah. so uh, you know, technology can be used uh, good or bad. So I'm glad you're bringing up some positive stuff because there's a lot of negative stuff out there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It can be good or bad. And this technology, that kind of uh, statement is true. And it has been true ever since Og came up with this thing called fire back in the cave. You know, it can be good or it can be bad. You know, oh, it can go either way. Well, I agree with you. When you're sitting there in a restaurant and you see people staring at a screen and not talking to the person across from them, I feel like walking over and saying, kids, put the phone down. Come on. You're here <laughs> with each other. You need to be here with each other. However, However, it's also real good that I can get a quick text to you. Let's say I'm going through uh, to see you and I get stuck. I know this would never happen. Get stuck in traffic in L.A. And I go, oh, no, I'm going to be a little late, Joel. I, it's nice that I could send you while I pull off the side of the road to do That's the text. That's right. Yeah. I'm going to send you a quick text to say, hey, I'm going to be late. You know, I don't have to have a long conversation, but it's nice to know that. And then we can have a video. I'm doing well, a lot. Know, even better, there are these, uh, I got this thing called Glimpse that uh, if I just tap a little button, uh, you get a text message with a link that shows you exactly where I am, you know, for mm -hmm. me specific amount of time. So I can actually give you location access uh, to me for 10 minutes so you can kind of see where I am. And let's say, for nice. example, I'm picking you up at the airport, uh, you know, and I want to know where you're standing or you want to know where I am so you know when to be ready or where to meet me. I mean, there are some really cool things. So uh, yeah. this opens up a really wonderful uh, discussion about uh, sometimes technology is a terrific thing and sometimes not so much, but it's not the technology. The technology is always neutral. The yep. technology by itself is neutral. It's, it's what, listen, uh, atomic energy is good or bad, uh, fire, good or bad. Yeah, I mean, all yep. these things are good or bad. And Airplanes, you know, they're good. They can also have been, people have died in airplanes, but they've been able to save a lot of lives as well. Yeah, uh, so, you know, that's, uh, that, that's kind of a cool thing. So give us some other uh, communication type tools. We'll, we'll get to the crypto and the other stuff in a few minutes, but let's talk about what are some other things that enhance relationships that, uh, so we have these uh, communication platforms. What other things kind of do you see have both sides or that we can kick around? I think there's a lot of different ways. Here. I'm thinking of some, like, for instance, if I wanted to have something to remind me that you have an important day coming up or something, it's nice to have an electronic uh, poke in the ribs to say, hey, it's Joel's birthday or Joel likes this or that and get that for him. Or I can use something like Amazon and I can say, hey, I know that Joel likes X. Well, I'm going to work through Amazon and I'm going to make sure that that goes to him. It makes it easier for me. It's cost effective. And you receive it at the door and going, oh, that's really nice. And when you can make someone say, wow, I think that is a real big deal. Finding ways that we can leverage the technology to help them doing uh, some of the on the medical side. We're now able to detect diseases way in advance of what we could do years ago. Doctors now have been able to leap far ahead of where we are. And need I say dentistry? Think about where dentistry is today versus, oh, let's say a couple hundred years ago. Um, you know, cutting edge was to figure out ways to knock a tooth out of you with a hammer or grab hold of it with some kind of pliers and yank it out. Today, we're so much better off. And I think it's a matter of you know, using it properly. I was uh, 
at my dentist recently getting a crown and, and he was telling me that it's all 3d printing. They, oh, don't, yeah. they don't make them in molds. I mean, somehow uh, a machine makes it based on however it makes it. I don't know what it does, but it's all 3d printing. It uses these new technologies. So it's, it's made precisely. It's perfect. It, it just, it's faster. It's a different material than it was made of before a stronger, better material. So there've been a lot of uh, certainly a lot of enhancements. Uh, which is which is just quite amazing. Let's talk about um, artificial intelligence. You know, uh, I mean, there must be a lot of incidences. We we keep talking about it like like it's going to be a magical thing at some point in the future, but it's all around us already, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, very much so. We're seeing it being used right now as it uses, uh, for instance, you and I are using this technology here and it's being transcribed. They're using artificial intelligence with Zoom, with Eva, EVA, the electronic voice assistant, and able to do the interpretation to understand, oh, because it's in context with these words, this is probably the word they meant. And that is something that is uh, phenomenal. It again well, has then, potential. And then beyond that, listen, I, I love those technologies. So beyond uh, they transcribe, and the transcription's pretty good. But then yeah. what they'll do is, uh, you know, you tell it to look for certain kinds of words that you have in your in your conversations. Yes. So, you know, words in my business, capital, executive, you know, the, whatever kind of word it is. And it will highlight words in my conversation with you that are important to me because I've told it to look for these kinds of words. And it just, it, it is a remarkable thing to be able to look at your transcripts and have them shown to you in the way that you want to see them. So there are, that, that's, that's an amazing one. What, what other, what other, how about ways? I mean, ways is uh, like yes. driving our cars, right? That's, oh, that's wonderful. So you can know, Hey, there's an accident two miles ahead. Instead of going this route, you might want to take that next exit and do this because of it. And now, I've heard somebody, that. somebody say that's not art called artificial. That's called augmented reality. Yeah, there's an augmented reality is when we're able to also see things in front of us, and it can give us a, a screen, if you will, without damaging our view of what we're getting right now. But uh, be able to see insights that we couldn't see is really interesting. And really what happens is when you combine artificial intelligence with, say, uh, big data, and you put these together on a medical area. One doctor, you go in to see your doctor and you say, doctor, it hurts over here. The doctor does tests, comes up with an idea and says, I think this, I'm going to diagnose you with this disease. However, we might know that there's uh, not just that, but if we can take the combined intelligence, artificial intelligence from many, many thousands or hundreds of thousands of cases, put it into big data, we can find, wait a minute, for everyone that has a body type like yours, they're this age, they got these factors that are all the same, instead of it being this disease, it's better to treat it with this particular uh, prescription. And we so can find those what, things what's out. What's happening is that uh, human intelligence is being aggregated in, yes. You know, so it's like this, the, the collective sum of all of our intelligence. So this doctor knows a lot about this and that doctor knows this, but they don't see the same things every day. But by putting it into a pool, we get the benefit. So it's like the smartest human ever. Oh, yeah, exactly. And we can put all that together. Now, also combine it with another technology of, say, drones. And now you think of the military capabilities with drones that could attack. Uh-oh, now we're talking not just sci-fi kind of scary, but we could have literal destruction of the world. And so all of this means, hey, this is just reality. Again, it's all going back to Og and the fire. It can be good or it can be bad. And you know, this, to, this whole discussion uh, kind of brings up a philosophical thing about, uh, you know, the pace and the quality of our life. I mean, our lives have 
they move so fast. I, I remember when I first got in business in the early eighties or the mid eighties, I, I was just, I started a price waterhouse in 1985 and we would do a tax return and then the, uh, the input people would input it and it would take a couple of days and this would take a few days and then we'd have to send it to New York and that would take uh, another week or two and then come back and be another week or two. So a month might go by before that file would be completed. Yes. Now, uh, you know, that file uh, can be inputted, go back forth, do whatever needs to be done in five minutes. I mean, everything can happen inside five minutes. Then you got DocuSign and all those kind of signature things and everything yes. can be done like almost uh, in, in a second. Um, and, and that has created a lot of that compression of time has created a lot of pressure on a lot of people. What are you seeing? You seeing that? Or I mean, is that I mean, is that really an issue? Are people having a psychological breakdown from that? Or what do you think? I think so. We've got to learn to control our minds and find that we can do things 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And too often we're working uh, when we really should be resting. And this is what doctors, medical professionals, uh, psychologists, really, really smart people who study that will tell us we need to do. <coughs> Excuse me. I think what we've got to do is we've got to uh, use our intelligence on that. And, you know, the, the back half of that question is, you know, so that we have compression of time and many, many more things are happening in the space of that. Uh, in a certain way, I, sometimes I wonder, are we really better off? Because when everybody took four weeks, then everybody took four weeks. If I was the only person that could do this uh, round trip cycle in five minutes, then I would have a real advantage and it would be great for me. But now that everybody can do it in five minutes, it's no advantage at all. It's, it's mandatory. And so a lot of technology that we use uh, if you were on the leading edge, that would be an advantage. But if you're not on the leading edge, once it becomes uh, mainstream and you have to do these kinds of things, it really uh, just creates a, a lot of pressure on our lives uh, just to stay afloat. Yeah, it can be. And that's called reality. Because uh, if you if no one has a car and everyone's riding horse and buggy and I get a car that really does work well and I can go faster and I don't have to worry about feeding the horse. And then eventually I get so that I can go at speeds that the horse could never keep up with. I'll be better off. But my competition will get that as well. So this is just reality of what life is like, meaning that we've got to control it. We use the technology, but I think it's much better today because I can operate and get things done from almost anywhere I happen to be. I don't have to go to the factory, punch the clock, and stay there for eight hours on the clock, et cetera. What matters more now is do you get the job done? But and that's you because you're, 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 you're called a knowledge worker. You know, I mean, yeah. we still have, uh, you know, other people that have to be in a physical place in order to get their work done. We have For a while. Life. For a while, robots are going to be able to take care of that. I grew up in the Midwest in Michigan. I worked in uh, union shops, working my way through school. And we'd see that you're doing the same thing over and over every day and day out. And people would get paid good money for that. But it also uh, resulted in their lives being shortened. Breathing, all of that, the stress that was there. Using robots to do that, they can do a whole lot more. They don't take breaks. Robots don't unionize. It's going to be cheaper. But that means for people, they've got to use their brains. And we've well, got to find new ways. Robots are, are cheaper in the long run, but they require more capital up front. Exactly. Which, Usually. which necessarily means that smaller companies are going to have a much harder time acquiring the capital to make those investments. Much like computers. When computers first came out, they cost a lot. Yeah. And the smaller companies couldn't afford it. Only larger ones could. But as we saw computers getting better and better and falling in price, now people can compete and use that and leverage the technology. The real bottom line is 
stay on top of what can be relevant to you to serve your market. Like you've been telling us, Joel, for so long, so well. Find out how you can serve a market and solve a problem. We're really, as you like to say, and I've been saying it, we've been saying it together, CSPs. We're communicators who solve problems. Yeah. As we can do that, we'll be able to overcome what the robots do because we're not going to stop them, nor would we really want to. Yeah. You know, um, I just... Um one of the things that, you know, that I think about with regard to pace of change is pace of learning. Uh, you know, mm. the pace of change has, is happening so fast. Uh, I always tried to be on the leading edge, but things are happening so fast and there are so many alternatives. Uh, I'm having a hard time keeping up and figuring out which, uh, which skills to adapt uh, or, you know, which technologies to adopt and, 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 and how to kind of move through my life. And, and this is really a problem. And I'll tell you, for example, people who are older, my mother-in-law, for example, uh, who's close to 80, uh, the real problem isn't that she can't learn. It's that she really struggles to unlearn what she knows to be so. So in other words, the idea of putting wireless speakers in our house are, is so foreign to her that she can't even understand it. The idea of not having a DVD and having an amplifier that you go put the thing in, uh, she can't adapt to Spotify. Not that she can't learn Spotify, but she can't forget what she did for 50 years. Mm -hmm. And that's really yep. been her big problem. You hit the nail on the head. Many people are like that and have been like that throughout the centuries. Whatever that new thing is. Think about when telephones first came out. People say, wow, I can call across town to do it. Well, hey, I'll just go across town and talk to Joe. I know him. He's a good guy. I don't want to get on a box and talk to him through a box. You know, I remember my father really objected to voicemail. Uh, when we could leave a message on a recorder. He said, I don't want to talk to a machine. I don't want to do that. I want to talk to a real human being. Well, we use them now and it helps our lives. I think the real key is we have to learn how to unlearn and we have to learn to say, okay, what you did before, wonderful, but it's before. Nixon is no longer president. Sorry. You know, we got to move beyond this. <laughs> and by the way, I'm glad, you know, <laughs> but, uh, it's, we're going to move forward on this now. You know, it just, it's, it's, a, it's just a funny, uh, it's a funny cycle, and we just have to really learn how to, how to unlearn. But the pace of change is so fast, you also have to pick and choose what you're going to learn. Uh, you can't learn every software. You can't learn every app. You can't learn every uh, system. So how do you decide? I mean, how do you, you, know, how do you identify? And you're, listen, I'm from venture capital, and, and my job is to pick winning horses. How do you pick a winner, though, in your world where you have technologies and you got to say, this is the technology we're going to settle on. If you're a company and you're going to, you're picking between a couple of different technologies that you're going to, you know, build your company's whatever on over the next 15 years. How do you think about that? That's a great question because what you want to do is not waste your time, money, and energy in those areas that aren't going to turn out. You want something that's going to be good. First of all, you got to rely on your experience. People that are older, I would say you got an advantage. You got some experience here. You don't, that uh, people who are in their, say, early 20s would not have. And you look at what is available that you can take and shape and mold that's going to help you to get out there and be willing to try a lot and realize you are going to fail, but learn how to fail fast on small areas that are not critical. Find out what's going to work. And when it doesn't work, no problem. We're moving on. And look at failure as something that's good. I think it's been one of the strengths of the American economy and the American uh, 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 gung-ho spirit. Over in Japan, they have a saying, they wa kugiwa utaero, which means the nail that rises up is pounded down. In other words, don't stand out. Don't make waves. Here in America, we say, hey, the squeaky wheel 
gets the grease. Make some noise, try it, you can push it. You've got to be willing to take reasonable uh, risks. Get out there, try something. And if it doesn't work, hey, you get back up, you dust yourself off, you might have to wipe up a little bit of blood. You know, don't kill yourself, but take reasonable risks. And I think that's how we start learning, by doing yeah, it, by no, making I, I don't know that uh, that corporate America would, would agree with uh, with that assessment. I, I think, that I think you're right. You, but, I, you know, but, uh, you know, take some risk. Uh, something goes wrong and you lose your job. You know, the downside to taking risk is much worse than the potential gain that somebody gets if they're right. Absolutely. You, know, you get a pat on the back. Thank you very much. You did a great job. Uh, if you make a mistake, sometimes the penalty. And, and, and that's part of our culture that we need to uh, probably address. There's probably a leadership culture that we need to think about uh, because we live in a world where there's lots and lots of uh, opportunities to take risk and things are changing. We have to make a lot of decisions and we can't penalize people. I remember in the eighties, uh, people would buy IBM because that was the safe bet. Hey, listen, you know, if the, if the computers crash, they'd say, well, listen, it's IBM. I mean, what else could you exactly? It's IBM. Say, yeah. Well, you're right. It's IBM. Nothing else we could do. But you see, the thing is, that's where I've always felt the small business has an advantage over that large company. Why? It's kind of like the, the Queen Mary going a very elegant uh, ship. It's out there, but a speedboat can run circles around it. And in today's world, more than ever, speed is really important. Money loves speed. We can make decisions rapidly. We don't have to run it through the political chain that's there. We don't have to run it through, uh oh, I remember old George over here. And last time when we made a decision, I'm going to get him this time. I, da, da, da. You don't have that. I say often to people, when I need to make a decision, I consult with the board of director and decide what I'm going to do and then move forward. And I think by using that speed, we can get ahead. Go back to IBM you were talking about. I remember that. You never got fired for recommending IBM. And yet, <laughs> where's IBM today? They well, it's are not at the top of the heap, I'll tell you that. They're not the top of the heap. Matter of fact, look at those that are. Facebook, Apple, Google, and they're having their challenges right now too, the yeah. FANG companies. But at the same time, wait a minute, how many of those were around, say, 20 years ago? It hardly Look, any that's it microsoft was but then microsoft was a new kid on the block where's philco radio hey they were real big we thought we were gonna be at standard oil they'll be around forever ibm around forever uh all the car studebaker cars will be around no we in our life we think oh they're big monopolies and we need government to control them and all that no 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 what happens is when we let people run and get i have competition that is the way to do it. I like the government as a referee if it's going to do anything. And we're going to say, okay, just make sure that's there, but you can't go in there and change the game, even though they usually start, as Milton Friedman told us, with really good intentions, but end up with really bad results. Well, I'd like to see the government be a referee too, but that doesn't uh, seem to happen so much. But I think, I think what the point of this discussion is, is that the world moves fast and uh, larger companies need to adopt a little bit of the entrepreneurial uh, attitude. Yes, because they, they need to adapt to technology so they're going to find themselves in trouble. One of the things that I know uh, coming from the entrepreneur business for such a long time and being in venture capital and the things that I did is that little companies innovate, big companies operate. And, and that's yeah. why big companies buy little companies. Little companies figure out how to do things in a cool new way. They don't have all the restrictions, the rules, the culture, the problems, the penalties of, of failure. Uh, I mean, ultimately, the, the penalty of failure in an entrepreneurial environment is very, very severe because it could yep. be lost of everything. But when they finally figure out how to get it off the ground and the thing stabilizes, then a big company comes in and gives them a payday. But then the big company gets something very cool and interesting. 
And, and I've facilitated, I've been involved in a lot of these kinds of transactions where I've sold my own company and, and I've been involved in others. And so this is really a cool place for people to, uh, to focus some attention. Uh, you know, if big companies can't do it by themselves, the way that they get innovation is by buying littler companies who bring that innovation with them. And that's, that's been a very smooth kind of approach. Yeah, we've seen that happen like with Google and with Facebook where they have bought companies smaller and then they were able to take that. And smart companies, large and small, realize, okay, we've got to always think hustle. We've got to think entrepreneurially. And so they even let uh, divisions within Microsoft or Google to operate on their own to make decisions and give them a chance to fail. And if they do fail, that doesn't mean it's the end of the world for them. Okay, we don't want you doing it again, but what did you learn from this and do it better next time? Well, I'll tell you, but even more than that, a lot of these companies are setting up uh, entrepreneurial incubators. Uh, yes. Intel, for example, has a whole department. They've set up a whole venture capital company where you go to them and say, listen, I've got an idea. And if it looks strategically in their wheelhouse, they'll actually fund the development of those deals and help these little companies get off the ground so that they can have access to them later. Yeah. And that's why what we need to do is to let the, the free market run, let people make decisions rather than saying, we're going to trust some people that really, really, really care and are really, really, really smart to make all the decisions. It's like the old, now a joke of the five-year plans that they had in the Soviet Union. They would just say, how many pencils do we need in St. Petersburg on the month of February? And they'd come up with a number and manufacture them. And inevitably, they'd end up with too many pencils, and then because they had too many people didn't have the other things they need or too few, and now they got the lines. The free market can make trillions of decisions, which it does every day. You and I would go to lunch. We go, ooh, this food is really good. We're going to come back here. Or, ooh, this was terrible service. The food was terrible. Don't go here. Hey, everyone, stay away. We don't need some bureaucrat telling us what to do. You and I just make the decision, and we go out and are able to do it on our own. So let's let's switch gears. Uh, I, I know that you just love cryptocurrency and blockchain and some of these other a little bit more esoteric kind of deals that uh, a lot of people just simply can't get their arms around. Uh, let's talk about those. Give us a little bit of insight. First of all, why are you so bullish on these things? I think long term, it gives people a way to be their own bank. It gives people a way to get what they need. Often people might try and usually those with poorer credit can have their credit card denied. They want to buy something and it's, the credit is denied. Well, when you have cryptocurrency and you've got it on your smartphone, on your smartphone in the form of what we call a wallet, a digital wallet, if I want to buy something from you and you say, that's a good price, Terry, for X number of dollars payable in this cryptocurrency, whichever one we might decide to use, you, you and I can do that. We just hold up our phones and we do the QR code and it's done. Or you, you, I, can't, you can't compare somebody's credit card being declined because credit is something you don't have that you you're going to borrow somebody else's money to a debit card where you know like the crypto which is effectively like a debit card which is your money you just need a way to transfer it yeah so, right i mean what you're talking about in crypto is more like a debit card not a credit card it really is more like a debit card or cash in that you know here's the cash you give me your widget and i give you the cash we agree on it we're both happier and both better off for that so it's very much like that the thing is though that I, we don't have governments inflating it away because it's based on mathematics think about it the people at the fed decide what the interest rate's going to be excuse me but i checked and uh, jerome powell is a human being he makes mistakes they make mistakes and they have look what happened in 08 look what's happened other times throughout our history and we see 
I, they mean well, they really try hard, but I would rather trust mathematics. And we have this thing called blockchain, which is underpinning it. And the blockchain makes sure that everyone is honest because you can all see what has happened. You can trace that to say, oh, there was that transaction that Terry and Joel had back uh, last March when they agreed to do this. Okay. And no one can go back and go, about, no. Let's talk bad. about the blockchain in a minute, because the blockchain is the backbone that, that keeps all, all this stuff working and, and yes. makes other things possible. But let's say on crypto for a second. Uh, so let's say that, uh, for example, you're in Venezuela and the uh, they decide that they're going to nationalize a bunch of assets and uh, Which they have <laughs> mess up the economy and everything. There's inflation overnight, and your your currency goes down by half. That yep. can't happen uh, when you're holding it in a blockchain type currency. But but the block, I mean the cryptocurrency. But the cryptocurrencies have their own issue because uh, don't aren't they subject to market? I mean there's a there's a market. So uh, yep. you know where whereas the crypto might be worth uh, the Bitcoin, let's say for example, might be worth a thousand. The market values it at three thousand. And then at tomorrow, two thousand. The next day, four thousand. I mean, so you do get wide swings. Doesn't that cause some problems? Oh, it certainly does. It gives a whole new meaning to the term volatility, and that's where it makes it very difficult. Particularly if I say, "Okay, I'm going to hire you, Joel, to do this deal for me. I want to invest in this," and you say, "Terry, I can do that, and my fee will be X dollars." Okay, fine. Here it is. Well, now, what if I pay you in crypto, and then tomorrow that price of crypto drops twenty percent, which happens sometimes right now so there's a risk in taking crypto then now that doesn't happen in the united states currency other currencies around the world absolutely uh, there are some risks to taking uh, those like venezuelan currency and certain other uh, you know currencies around the world there where they're not stable like they are in the united states um but the united so but the so the stability that we're used to of our currency uh doesn't exist in the cryptocurrency world yet because they're the market pricing is fluctuating like a stock like a stock price sure and historically we're very concerned because guess what they said that their currency was real strong when we look at the say the assyrians or the romans or the dutch and throughout history people uh, would have their currency as the reserve currency of the world and they would say we're just fine nothing's go it's never been like us before until it wasn't until it changed. And so that's the concern that people have with 22 trillion in debt officially for the U.S. Think, how are we going to take care of that? Plus, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal just, uh, I think, about a week ago about the debt around the world. It's not just the U.S., but uh, uh, they're dealing with this. Draghi is dealing with it over in Europe. The EU, Shinto Abe is wrestling with it over in Japan with it. And we see China running into some headwinds, too. They're still growing, but we're looking at the fiat currencies are based on, well, nothing but the good faith and confidence of the government, which might not be there. And we've seen that happen with several uh, that are there. I think the idea is having a hedge against all kinds of uh, bad things that can happen in the economy. It makes a lot of sense. And crypto, so you, based you, on you don't think mathematics, is good. You don't think that crypto, which is uh, based purely on supply and demand in this mathematical formula, uh, is really, you think it's really different than the way fiat currencies are valued? Because it sounds I think a lot it, the same to me. It's going to be similar in that it, you have to look at, there's a lot of cryptocurrencies out there. If you go to coinmarketcap.com, it's a very popular place that lists, uh, I think, close to 2,000 now coins. Most of those coins are probably going to go out of business. Everyone feels, hey, mine's going to do well, like a small business that says, hey, ours is going to do well. We've got to identify those who are going to be around. 
Bitcoin is the one that is the most popular, has been around the longest, and was the first back in 08 and then released on the market in 09. And so I think that we could see that happen, but what we've got to do is look at the fundamentals. The fundamentals, the structure of it, and how people are using it right now, and using it literally to buy goods and services over uh, the net, and being able to buy what they need through Amazon or other places. Starbucks looking at it right now, and uh, we can go out and we can make purchases with it. So it's got some real strength behind it. Yeah, it. Listen, I I think it's real. I think it's going to survive. I just think that the. Uh, the way it's priced and valued right now is very problematic because it prices like like a penny stock with this unbelievable volatility. Yeah, the volatility is a big issue. Believe me, hey, we saw in 2018, it was uh, starting out uh, very close to sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars 17000 and then collapsed all the way down uh, just around 3000 3500 yeah. 3, or so. Today, it's around there. So it has been uh, hit very, very hard. However, I mean, listen, we're, we're uh, you know, people go crazy when the stock market goes up or down two or three points. <laughs> I mean, yeah. percent, you know, I mean, it, it just, it makes people go crazy. We're talking about that, you know, losing, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, five sixths of its value. Yeah. And so that becomes a real problem. And I think that uh, I would not at all recommend anyone go out, sell the family farm and put it into crypto. No. What you want to do is be able to monitor it, learn about it. And I see it more for the long term. Like any currency that gets started, it takes a little while for it to be established. The Continentals were not real strong when the U.S. government uh, first got started with uh, money. But eventually, over time, it became more stable as there was underpinning structure to take care of it. So which, so which are the ones? I mean, we talked about picking the winning horse before. Uh, which one is Bitcoin, Ethereum? Which one do you, do you, do you bet on? If I could give a good answer on that, boy, we both could go retire somewhere. But I do like uh, Bitcoin, I think, because it is this, the established one. I think Ethereum has some good possibilities for use cases, particularly with supply chain and with using uh, the way that it gives the ability for smart contracts so that we can track it. And that's where it really sparkles. I also like Bitcoin Cash. I think it's got some real good fundamentals underneath it, and it's being used right now for transactions for very low cost and very rapid. So it's got some uh, good capabilities there. Dash, D-A-S-H, has a lot of capabilities being used as well. But I think that there's no way we could say which one is going to be best. There's several out there. Monero has some good possibilities also for having a a coin that is going to be much more private and you don't have to worry about people seeing what you're doing for those that want to make sure that they don't have some uh, greedy partner or some greedy spouse taking a look at uh, what they're doing. You know, one of the questions, uh, you know, there's just all these companies keep popping up. Why do you think so many different companies are creating these uh, cryptocurrencies? I mean, we only need a couple of them. I mean, you know, but, but there are, there are hundreds of them out there, small that you've never heard of. What what are these people thinking that uh, is going to happen that, that keeps them going? Well, they think that they've got something unique. They've got something that's a little bit of a uh, difference than others that are available, and they have a right to get out there and try it. Oh, I think hey, listen, they, they have a right. If they can get investors, if they can get the world behind them, they can do whatever they like. I, I'm not arguing that. Yeah. It's my life. That's my world. But uh I just wonder what the rationale, the logic is that they're thinking, how they're going to squeeze themselves in uh, into this very complicated environment. 
You know, you raise a very important question there because we have to look at that. I've been MC at a number of different cryptocurrency conferences and speak about this. And I've seen the coins. You can see the people that are really enthusiastic. And when you sit down and talk to them, they'll tell you why their coin is going to be better than the others. And maybe it is. You know, you don't want to be the one that tells the Beatles, no, you're no good. Or to tell Mark Zuckerberg back in 03, forget this thing about the Facebook. It's not going to happen. You know, instead, you want to be able to encourage them. And I think, hey, let's let the free market decide. Yeah. If they've got something that well, will be I mean, listen, good, uh, let them run. Microsoft, when it, uh, when it, you know, really exploded in the uh, mid-1990s, uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's always been well known. It wasn't the best product on the market but they had the most momentum and they just made it happen better than other people. Maybe they have better management, better leadership, whatever it was, but it wasn't necessarily based on the best technology. So right. uh, the best technology doesn't win. So when people tell you that they're the best or this or that, you know, maybe it's not necessarily all that relevant. And I think that's where you, Joel, you have a lot of wisdom and your book that you have. Matter of fact, I see it over there, over your shoulder there, stop hustling gigs and start building a business. Really good wisdom in there about discerning it, being a little bit, uh, as a journalist that I am, a little bit skeptical. You know, in, in journalism, we go, yeah, right. Uh -huh. You know, it's like you're that's in, in your DNA. And I think you need a little bit of that in venture capital and anything you're going to do in the crypto world. Be uh, very skeptical. Have a good, healthy dose of skepticism and realize they're not all going to make it. But I think it is something that we definitely want to invest our time studying and learning about it because it is something that is not going to go away. It is here. It's going through some growing pains right now and it'll be good. We're recording this. Let's check back and see how it is a year from now. I predict right, listen, one, one more question about crypto and then we'll, we'll wrap up with blockchain. Uh, the governments don't like the cryptocurrencies because they can't control them the way they control a fiat currency. And mm -hmm. it's making them very nervous that they can't tax it. They can't track it. They, they, they just, they can't, be in the middle of the transaction the way they like it. The international monetary community is very nervous about this uh, because for really the first time in history, there really is uh, something that the, people don't need the government to manage the money. The money really is the glue that holds the whole economy together, and which, which is really what you know, the whole thing's about. So uh, what are the governments doing to, because this isn't going away. So what, do you have any sense about what the government's doing to get comfortable with this? It would depend on the government you're talking about, but the U.S. government has been a little bit more open. They realize, okay, this is here, and we don't want to destroy innovation. We want to keep it going. We want to nurture it. But like you said, hey, why do we need the U.S. dollar that's going to be inflated or that can be manipulated in our interest rates when I can use crypto and you and I can do business together very easily with that? And that is a concern that they have. And I think, well, in a way, it's like, why do we need the government doing that in the first place? It didn't do that from the beginning in this country. And there are countries around the world, uh, many of them, where government has harmed people because they can control the money. But I think that governments are going to uh, come up with some ways that they can do something with it. But also there's other coins that uh, are not going to be able to be traced, at least right now it cannot. Uh, something like Bitcoin, they can do that. They were able to track down and uh, find out my friend, Ross Ulbricht who was, uh, had built a website where he took violence out of drugs. He took the violence away from that, and the government didn't like that. And so they came after him, and now he is unfortunately for committing no violent crimes at all, serving two life sentences with no chance of parole. And we raised money for him, took it to the Supreme Court, and Justice John Roberts just a little while ago uh, turned him down. 
and said they would not hear it. So governments are very concerned about it, and they're putting yeah. uh, teeth into it. Very concerned. And then you can certainly see from their perspective why they should be concerned. I mean, the uh, it, it was just really recently that the government learned how to send 1099s to people who use PayPal. I mean, they, that used to kind of go under the radar. It just, you know, so the government really runs way behind schedule based on uh, the technology that we all use. And uh, this one's much more complicated than anything else. So let's wrap up by talking about blockchain because blockchain is really the backbone that all this stuff utilizes. And yeah. of all the things that I've seen come out, you know, we have the cloud and we're all excited about being able to get all this offline storage and all this stuff. But a lot of it, really, there's a lot of security issues that have, have sprung up, and blockchain seems to be the answer. Is it? It is. It's got some real advantages. As an example, you remember the hack that took place in Equifax, where 143 million people yeah. had their sensitive data exposed. Joel, you know, the uh, questions that you're asked about your mother's maiden name, where you went to elementary school, the first car you had. Joel, we now know that information about you because it was broken into. Because think about it. The structure was all of the information is in one place. Now, they tried to do all they could with protection security there at Equifax and put it in one place. And a bad guy or guys, all they had to do is break in there and get it from that one place. In contrast to blockchain, blockchain is a distributed ledger technology, DLT, so that instead of it being in one place, let's say you got a million dollars you want to protect. Instead of putting $1 million in one place, you put $1 million in a hundred places or a thousand different places. And now if you want to break in, you got to break into a thousand different places. Oh, and by the way, we change the formula every 15 minutes. So you've got to do it. It's almost impossible for the bad guys to get in there and get that. And because every time somebody says, well, let's change this or let's add it, it's written into every one of the other computers. That's where the brilliance and genius of who created the blockchain, Satoshi Nakamoto, either a person or a group of people that did that for for Bitcoin, had the foresight to say, we're going to make sure that we don't have uh, double spending on these cryptocurrencies. We're going to make sure that it's... Uh, distributed ledger and we can see what has happened you'll be able to it's not anonymous it's more pseudonymous you uh, can hide some of the things but we could find out who's doing what and that has been done many times with bitcoin so i think blockchain well, and, has and, some real promise for the future so the the thing that excites me about um about the blockchain is it makes very sensitive transactions that the government didn't want to do before possible Voting, yeah. uh, managing healthcare records, managing, uh, you know, all kinds of very venture capital and, and financial documents, venture capital in your world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, highly sensitive kinds of things uh, that become possible because they're not uh, they're, they're, they're secure. It's a better level of security than we've ever had before. And yep. maybe it's not the best because there probably are still things people are going to figure out that we can't think of what they are just yet because that's been the pattern. But, yep. uh, but it's better than anything else. But it opens the door to the government allowing voting. Imagine, if you, imagine what the participation would be in our country if people could vote from their phone. 
I mean, this yeah, is exactly. I've talked you know, to one of the experts on that uh, uh, and uh, got a chance to look at what's available and how they can do it. Right now, that is the way to do it. You figure, uh, and I wrote articles on this, the voting, people have two sides. One side says, hey, we want to make sure everyone can vote. And I think most people would agree, those that are eligible to vote, we would want to encourage that for those that want to. But on the other side, we would also say, wait a minute, there's voting fraud that takes place. And we want to stop that. Well, with blockchain, we can see who voted, that they did vote. We don't see how they voted, just that they did vote and they did it at this time. So now they would not be able to double vote. The old Chicago thing, vote early and vote often. We'd be able to curtail that right away. We'd be able to say, no, those that did, we saw what was there. And with blockchain, we can make sure that it is immutable, meaning it's not going to be changed. And also, if you decide, you know, I voted two weeks before, but I changed my mind. I don't want to vote for that guy. You can go back and change your vote. It would be clear that you voted this time, then you voted again, but it would flip the vote over the other way. And yeah. so we can make sure that's, well, that's good. That's really, you know, listen, how they handle that and how they handle registration and making sure people are qualified to register and everything is complicated. It takes the government a long time because the consequences of a mistake are very uh, severe. Yeah. But, but what's exciting about this is it opens the possibility of, of, of things that are, that, that we all see as a good idea becoming possible yeah. in a safe and secure way. Um, that's a beautiful thing about the future. Ideas about Thank the things that could, could be uh, applied using the blockchain? Yeah, I think there's a lot, particularly in um, uh, shipping, for instance, because when you think about, let's say you're shipping some fruits or vegetables from uh, Hong Kong to New York. You've got a lot of variables there, variables like, well, you got to have a temperature control. It can't go above a certain uh, temperature. It can't go below that. There's got to be a time. It has to reach this port, reach the Panama Canal by a certain date. Then it's going to go through the Panama Canal. Then it needs to reach New York City port by a certain date. All of these are numerical and measurable. We can do that with a blockchain. And blockchain with smart contracts let us know, hey, Joel is going to do this and this, and he's going to send me these goods. I'm going to get them in my store in New York by this date. And by the way, when it arrives, I can't say, oh, no, Joel, uh, yeah, we didn't really get it yet when I know we did. You'll see it. Everyone will know what's going on, and so the this, funds so will this be really released. works well for progress payments? Oh, yeah. See, you, so progress payments, cool. so for example, construction, building a, a skyscraper, building uh, anything. Yep. Uh, there are many, many progress payments being made. Yep. Factory it does work. particularly well with that. It so that you say when this has happened and we can measure it, it does best when you have measurable entities and uh, deliverables. Uh, by this day, at this time, you're going to deliver me this many pieces of wood, this much concrete, et cetera. Then what we can do is we can see it was done and I can't stop the payment from going out. It automatically goes to you, to your account and your bank. I mean, because the, because the bank account is somehow going to be tied to this too. Exactly. We tie all those numbers together, putting it through crypto actually then, and that crypto can then put it over into your bank or you can leave it in crypto and you write the smart contract. That's going to open up a lot of opportunities for lawyers while we also curtail activities that lawyers have been doing in the past. Yeah. Terry, you are uh, one uh, fascinating uh, individual. I mean, it really is quite extraordinary. You really uh, think uh, way into the future about things that uh, the rest of us need to be paying attention to. So uh, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom, your ideas. Terry's contact information is on the website. You can uh, you can check it out and learn all about Terry. Terry's uh, he's an awesome guy. So Joel, it's an honor to be with you. 
for really appreciate you. And by the way, those of you listening, get to know this guy. I got to tell you, I've known him as a friend, as a colleague. He has helped me many, many ways. He's, he's brilliant. Get his book and uh, you'll learn a lot. I have, and it's put money in my pocket. He didn't tell me to say that, <laughs> but I want you to know this man is real. Get to know him. Terry, thanks, man. You're uh, you're a great guy. Listen, I appreciate you being on the show and we'll, uh, we'll follow up soon. Thank you, Joel. Great to be with you. You too. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Strategies to give your business the inside track. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.